We are continuing with Pirkei Avos, chapter one. We briefly touched on Mishnah nine last time. We'll do that again and then move on to Mishnah 10. So Mishnah nine says that Shimon ben Shetach says that a person needs to investigate the witnesses, but to be doing so carefully so that the witnesses don't learn from the ways that the questions are asked or posed, the direction of the investigation, and that would teach them, so to speak, how to lie. So be cautious with your words, lest the people involved mentions the witnesses specifically. It could also be referring ultimately to the litigants as well, that they get a little primed for the direction in which their arguments should lie based on the way that the questions are posed. And, and so basically that's the way Rashi explains it and, and the Rav explains it. Another interesting interpretation is that when issuing a verdict, don't elaborate more than necessary on the reasons for the ruling because people may study the case in order to learn how to deceive a court in the future. That's another aspect of not teaching people how to lie. That's an interesting explanation. Um, also, there's an explanation by the Ruach Hayim that is brought in the commentary here in the Perkyagos that a judge has to be very circumspect in how he is questioning so that he's not too misleading to cause um, what in his mind, you know, the revelation of, of, of testimony that might be relevant. And so therefore he is being cautioned that um, that he might be appearing to be misleading in order to get to the truth, so to speak. And then the witnesses might learn, oh, well, if the judge can be misleading to get the information that he wants, then maybe we can do the same, you know, to get the verdict that we want and, and misstate their testimony. That's also a very interesting interpretation. I think that in addition to um, the simple explanation of this Mishnah, which is specifically in a courtroom and in, so to speak, legitimate court cases. I think we all have this in our lives, um, especially when it comes to understanding what happened between children and, uh, you know, trying to flush out, uh, you know, the real victim and the real perpetrator. And we need to be very careful. And I think part of the message, part of the underlying message of all of this is that at the end of the day, we cannot think that we have too much power or control, even in the pursuit of getting to the truth and making the right judgment. We have to remember that our abilities are limited and it doesn't serve well to do an end justifies the means sort of methodology, right? So we can lie in order to get to the truth or we can be specifically misleading um, so that you know we're, we're, we're going to flush out the real uh, perpetrator. And the fact is that that's not within our purview to decide. And as uncomfortable as it is to be in the dark and to not really know, and we suspect that maybe there's more to the story, but we can't get to it, we have to leave it up to Hashem that we've done our best. In the words of the Talmud, every judge has only what his eyes can see. So trying to do too much to get to what we don't see is really not our job. And that's um, not such a comfortable feeling. 
um, especially when it comes to our children, we have a suspicion and often we have a bias. And isn't it also sometimes true that our biases are wrong? And we might assume that one of them is the guilty one and really the other one is. So we really have to be very careful based on this Mishnah, whether it's as parents or as leaders, you know, that we're trying to do our job, that we're not overstepping the bounds of what is actually proper in terms of process and how to treat and get to uh, the truth, but also how to treat people. You know, very often um, it happens that in a position of leadership that we might be in a situation where we're supposed to decide between different people, let's say, to honor. That's a big one over the high holidays. And we have a decision to make. And it's hard to decide between this one and between that one. And we might try to assume too much based on what we are trying to figure out or what our feelings about a situation are. We really have to do as much as possible to stick to the facts and what we know and just make the best decision that we can. And remember, the ultimate justice is up to Hashem. Questions or comments? David, so nice to see you. Nice to be back. You think, Ethan, I'm very grateful. He reminded me yesterday. Well, David, maybe you, you, you joined us because you know that the theme is leadership and you know how much we all look up to your leadership. Maybe that's <laughs> why you, you came on. <laughs> Okay, I, I think yes. Rabbi, you, you you brought up a good point in in regards to uh, I think this does tie into leadership very much, right? We're as leaders, whether it be in business or in community, we're all going to have a circumstance where you're getting a, a he said she said sort of circumstance and trying to get to the core of it to either <clears throat> rectify a situation or or to improve an organization and and getting to that truth. Uh, requires not only diligence but but intelligence in how it goes about it, and I think this is this ties in very nicely. Yeah, so uh, I'll share with you a story. If you unless you go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I'm that was it. Yeah, so I'll share a story that's really in in line with this. Often I get asked to participate in uh, communal disputes. Uh, so one that happened not too long ago, uh, a rabbi uh, sent me a WhatsApp that a certain school was doing terrible handling of a sensitive subject where one of the students made fun of one of the teachers um, and and basically the the rabbi wanted to call out the school for what they recommended as treatment and everything and so forth and that he was getting a bunch of rabbis to sign on a letter against the administration of the school on naming the principal and so forth and i did have my own biases and i did not want to do this and no matter what you know getting involved is not necessarily a winning situation. Very often it could only be a losing situation. Uh, but the more I thought about it, the more I realized that, hey, wait a second. If the goal is to really help everyone, let's say do better, to educate better, and the teacher should be treated better and the student should be treated better. So then why don't we all get in the same room and talk about it? And I said, and this, that was my response is that like, I, I can't just, you know, get involved even when a credible rabbi asks me to. What I need is in, in the pursuit of what is really true and good to be present for all sides to, you know, air their case and, you know, whatever their issues are. And <laughs> I responded that to the rabbi a few days later and he, he sends back to me, 
Ah, it's too late anyways. <laughs> you know, I was agonizing over like, what should the response be? And eh, never mind, it's too late anyways. And I was pretty sure that I lost, you know, credit in the eyes of this rabbi. But at the end of the day, you know, it was, I, I think that's the only approach. Agree. Okay. Um, let's go to the next one. Mishnah 10. This is about two characters, Shemaya and Avtalion, uh, who are very interesting people in that they themselves were converts. And that's the way both Rambam and Rav, who's a commentator, early commentary, uh, the Mishnah learns, that they were converts to Judaism. And there's a big problem with that, which is why some people argue with these opinions, because in general, we don't appoint converts into the positions of leadership. And one of them was the Nasi, which is the political figurehead of the Jewish people at the time um, of King Herod's reign, which is at the end of the Second Temple. And, um, and the other one was the leader of the, of the court, of the high court for the Jewish people. And so some people say that, uh, that they were not um, you know, converts because they could not be appointed. Other people, on the other hand, say that they were appointed because they were of the greatest stature of rabbis available. And uh, the only time converts would be excluded is when there's someone who uh, is of suitable um, pedigree and equal in caliber is available. So that's just a very interesting um, um, discussion about who they are. And they make a nice point about Avtalion being meaning in the Aramaic to be the father of the young. Av Tile is like a young one or a sheep. And Apitroph or Apitrophus, which would be um, also the father of minors, is somewhat related uh, to Avtalion. Uh, so anyways, there's interesting things about, about them. So they received from the earlier rabbis, and they said, hang on one second. Um, they received from the earlier rabbis, and they said that love work, ahavis hamalacha, love work, musnah es harabanus, hate the rabbinate would be the literal definition. You'll see in the English that they translate that as hate power. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean to hate the rabbis. In other words, hate the fact of the necessary requirement that there be a position of power. The altis vadat l'rashus and do not become overly familiar with the government. So there's a lot of important, uh, obvious questions and points to make about this Mishnah. What does the idea of loving work have anything to do with hate positions of the rabbinate or becoming overly familiar with the government? That's question number one. Question number two is, it never says do not become a person that is in the rabbinate. It doesn't say do not become a rabbi or, or a position, do not assume a position of power. It just says to hate it, right? It doesn't. That's not the same thing as saying it's forbidden to become one of that kind of authority. And the same thing with don't become known to the government. They translate as overly familiar because they're saying to become known implies an intimacy, like a real closeness, like really known. But again, it doesn't say don't have any relationship with the government. So it's a very interesting way of couch, couching advice 
which is basically saying, don't take it too much to an extreme, right? So there's the don't not become a rabbi, but hate the position of the rabbinate is basically what it's saying. Don't become too familiar with the government, but actually have a relationship with the government. So what does all of this have to do with work? You know, a lot of people like to talk about today how there's no such thing as people taking pride in their work, right? Nobody has pride in, you know, the, the profession that they do and have a big sense of, you know, connection to their work product and that they, you know, feel that it's a reflection on them. So I think what the Mishnah is really dis discussing is that there's a certain aspect of a person that is a development of self that is completely tied in to the work product that they develop or do or make. In other words, our real sense of accomplishment and beingness should come because we can do something significant. We should love work. That doesn't mean love all work, you know, even if it's not suited for you. And even if it's, uh, you know, the idea of becoming a workaholic and, you know, to the exclusion of other things, it really means love the accomplishment, the productivity that you can do with work. So because we have someone on the call that knows this business, and I know it a little bit business uh, also, right? We shouldn't love getting a client to get a lot of money, but we should love the fact that either we're helping them build their portfolio in a secure way, right? Or we're helping them make good long-term decisions for themselves and their family. And that's a really significant accomplishment and effect to have on people. The fact that it also yields money for, let's say us, who work in that field, that's good, but that's not loving the work, that's loving the money. Loving the work is loving the true effect, the impact of our work product. And that the Mishnah is saying should really drive a person's sense of ego as opposed to having a position of power, as opposed to having an in with the government. I don't know if you know, you're all reading the same articles of money from China to the Bidens, et cetera. You know, and then, of course, we have Trump's, you know, overinflated, you know, financial, you know, statements. And, you know, so many people, whether it's these particular people or not, is not the point. Those are just examples that are in the news now. Um, so many people are looking for the easy way out because what they really love is the ease of money. They're not looking to accomplish. They're not looking to be a person of significant impact and effect on the world. And that's what this mission is saying. What we really have to do is love the work. So I don't know if I shared this story um, here because like I told you in the past, I just don't remember everything. But at Tashlich on the, on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, an 11-year-old boy that I know very well, very, very smart boy, very precocious and out of the box thinker, he looks at me at Tashlich. He says, so what's it like to be the Rosh Hashiva? So I looked at him and I said, you know, that's a really good question. But at the end of the day, it's really all about responsibility. It's just taking on a lot of responsibility. The good part of the responsibility is that hopefully you get to do meaningful work with people that really helps them and is offering something in the way of either guidance or, you know, direction that helps them with their lives, etc. That's great. But all the responsibility and all the, you know, decisions 
that you make that really affects so many people that you have to make decisions about, that's not so much fun. The famous line, even from my, my predecessors, I'm talking about Rabbi Simon Zetzal. I don't know if any of you knew him. He was a great, great man, a genius, a really incredible person, one of the main founders of the Miami Beach uh, Jewish community um, in so many ways, both in terms of kashras and halacha in general. Anyways, he used to say, uh, I think it was him that said this, and he was the principal of the Masifta for a while. He said, you know, all Rosh Yeshiva are going to Gehenna. That's H-E-L-L. And the reason is either for the students that they kick out or for the students that they do not. Right. So there's a huge amount that comes with with having, so to speak, authority. And and it's not fun. It's really, really not fun. And that's partially the story of Yonah as well as being a messenger to the Jewish people and being responsible to bring them, you know, admonition from Hashem and the way that they respond, he takes as his responsibility and he takes it very seriously. And that's not fun to have that responsibility. On the other hand, if you love the fact that at least you get the opportunity to provide people with a means, that's great. And so that's, I believe, love the work. And that's the connection between loving the work, hate the authority that comes along with the work that is such good work. So don't like the fact that there is power attached to it. And the same thing, yeah, listen, we need government. You know, we're hoping now to maybe elect a, a mayor in Miami Beach uh, that, you know, hopefully will be very helpful. That mayor is helping everyone in Miami Beach get schach this week. You know, he already arranged with, he's not a mayor yet, but he's a commissioner. He's already arranged for, for you know, Jews in Miami Beach to get free palm fronds, um, you know, that the city cuts down anyways. That's great. But you got to understand that uh, dealing with government and their ways is a, is a big danger. And a shortcut is often not worth it. Questions or comments? Joseph, did you have a question? After you, after you, Ethan. Um, first, I think beautiful message uh, and, and a beautiful way to think of the work that we do. Um, and I think it's also important to your point of emphasizing the outcome for those that we're serving as opposed to simply the, the profit motive. Um, I was looking through the commentary and I noticed as it related to government, it was an interesting commentary from Rambam and, and Raviona, uh, Raviona, that they make a comment if you, if you actually join the hierarchy of government, that the difficulties increase. One cannot serve two masters at once. The yoke of government places a terrible strain on one's ability to bear the yoke of heaven. Sooner or later, officials in the upper echelons will make demands which a servant of God cannot honor, thus bringing the relationship to a sudden end. Uh, and I, I think the relationship between God and, and the individual to a sudden end is, is what's implied there. It's interesting to me that that's their advice as opposed to encouraging Jews to be in government to bring holiness into government as opposed to advising them to stay away from being involved in government because they may get removed themselves from the holiness. Um, I, I noticed that, and I guess one of the questions that kind of comes out of it is that I wonder if they were uh, scholars of a different generation, ones that were, were in democratically elected governments uh, they'd have a different view. 
I think it's a, an excellent question. I really do. Um, I think that uh, the democracy experiment is undergoing tremendous testing nowadays. I know many of us are questioning if there is actually integrity anywhere left in the government. I don't know if you saw the, um, there's an article I was just looking at today, I think Joseph probably saw it, uh, discovering the corruption of the Iranians uh, in government, in the US government. Um, You know, our friend Charles Small has already been working a long time at discovering the anti-Semitic money that's taken over the colleges. um, And that's a real thing. And now they're talking about the government itself and the way that Iran has lobbied uh, to be perceived, et cetera, especially in the midst of this whole uh, nuclear power up that everybody, so many people are afraid of. So I think the short answer to your question is, is that the governments of the world cannot be trusted. Unfortunately, sometimes the Jewish government cannot be trusted. Um, that's why one of the main reasons we're looking for the Mashiach. The Mashiach is not just a, a savior. The Mashiach is a legitimate king, a legitimate monarch guided by the rules of the Torah and Hashem, where corruption really shouldn't happen. Uh, so King David was known for adjudicating very righteously. Uh, king Solomon also to some extent. But many of the other kings of the Holy Temple were not the same. And it's an incredibly difficult balance to achieve um, a government that is not corrupted or corruptible with a people that are you know, able to observe and adhere to the rules of the government without being actually becoming corrupted themselves. It's, it's a very, very, very difficult balance. So I think as a generality, the mission is right on point. Then you go, okay, but what about today or 20 years ago in America? Uh, to what extent is it worth getting involved in the government? And still, I think the mission of Ari applies. The answer is extremely cautiously. That's the answer. The answer is not no, but it is extremely cautiously. And very, you know, what they say is sooner or later, officials in the upper echelons will make demands which the servant of God cannot honor. You know, that's something you got to really be careful about. You, you recall the Unisana Tokef story um, where the man was close to the 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 Christian uh, leader of the time, and he asked him to renounce the one true God in favor of whatever. And uh, just the fact that he felt compelled because of the friendship to think about it was enough for himself to say, this has gone too far. So very cautiously. That was a better question. Yeah, <clears throat> I think... Um, not to get close to the government for the Jews, it's even more relevant today than ever. Because then when things are so complex and prone to go wrong, it's easy to, the first thing to be blamed are the Jews. I don't know if you read uh, the other day, Putin uh, blamed uh, the deficiency of the Russian uh, uh, fighting the war of the Jews from his cabinet. And he pointed out that Zelensky is a Jew. So everything what's happening between Russia doesn't, and Ukraine doesn't go right is because of the Jews. So this can escalate very, very dangerously, in my opinion. It's, it's definitely a really important point. It's, it's dangerous. Um, unfortunately, even if we don't get involved with the government, they'll probably still figure out how to blame the Jews. But uh, we, don't, we don't need to add fuel to the fire. Exactly, exactly.
Anyone else? Okay, so I think we'll we'll continue with the Dvartar. I'm just going to um, put us on. Um, we're going to stop this recording. <laughs>